0: Welcome to The David McQueen Show, a weekly podcast where through insights and interviews, I explore what good leadership looks like for businesses and nonprofit organizations. My main aim is to keep the podcast long enough to cover the subject, but short enough to create interest. So sit back and enjoy this episode of The David McQueen Show. Welcome back. I do believe this is episode 18, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I do believe this is episode 18. And in the last two episodes, I took a bit of a break from just speaking myself and introducing two incredible guests, um, Liam Black on episode 16 and Enya Martin on episode 17. So please go back and check those um, when you have the time. But today, what I wanted to do was to uh, come back to a bit of an insight. Um, and I wanted to talk about specifically leadership coaching why leaders have coaches so the reason why I brought this up is um, over the years people have asked me to come on board and become leadership coaches for them and I've been a bit reluctant to be fairly honest I it's for a combination of reasons sometimes I have self-doubted because I haven't done a specific training To do that, other times it's just not necessarily what I wanted to do. But when I have got involved in it, it has been an incredible experience. And although I haven't gone through formal training, the fact is, as I've had amazing people around me who have helped me to shape what that leadership framework looks like as a coach when I'm working with senior executives or business leaders around where they want to take their leadership to the next level. And for me, often there is a query or a line where people I'm not quite sure why a leadership coach should be brought on board, and and even if they do have one, what what's the whole point? So it's an interesting thing as well because leadership coaching can be quite prohibitive. For example, I know as a starter that myself and others we start at around. Anywhere between three to five thousand pounds, depending on the duration of the actual coaching, and some go a hell of a lot more to it, talking about 20, 30 and I know some people who charge at least a hundred thousand pounds plus for their leadership coaching. Again, it's contextual; it depends on the size of the business, it depends on the reputation of the person who's worked you're working with, and the results you're looking for as well. But rather than getting too much into to the price, and yes, again, as I said, it's premium, especially when you're dealing with executives. So you have to be expect that it's going to be more, but I want to talk more about the principles behind why leaders do have coaches and why I believe it's so important for individuals who do want to take their leadership to the next level to have somebody around them. Now, for context, coaching as opposed to mentoring is about performance. We're looking at specific targets that individuals want to be able to meet. Sometimes they could be over a short term. Um, For some others, it could be over a long term in terms of the performance as well and having that sounding board to, to, to keep you accountable. So if you think about it as a singer, lots of singers have vocal coaches to make sure that their voices are on point, that they're not ruining their throats or their voices or their, you know, what is effectively their, their toolkit when they're singing. They will have a vocal coach. Even some of the top singers in the world will still have a vocal coach who will work with them and it will take them through the exercises to make sure that they are doing the best for their voice and as a whole as their body. Secondly, if you think about top athletes, you know, whether you're a, a sprinter, a footballer, a basketballer, play hockey, there's always going to be somebody who's going to be there coaching around fitness and making sure that the individual gets maximum performance out of what it is that they're doing. They will observe and ensure that from the outside that they can give you the honest opinion to push you to, your, to be your best, but specifically around um, targets that you've agreed on. So likewise, it is the same in in, in business or non-profit organizations. When individuals are in positions of leadership, often they are thrown in the deep end of being able to guide an organization and those are very high stake positions and often they can be lonely, even though you have people around you who probably sit on your board or will be reporting into you. It can be quite lonely because often people will look to you for that answer and how well you do or how well you are will just be based on results. And so for many people, they will go to hire executive coaches who will work with them. Sometimes it can be as small as three months. I know of instances where people have been working with leadership coaches over a number of years. And what they've done is they've re-engaged them every single time that their organization has gone to a next level, whether they're dealing with change, whether they're um, releasing new products, whether they have to go through new hiring. They will bring on new leaders that can really challenge them. In that space to take what they're doing to the next level so I want to focus on a couple of points here as to why um, a leadership coach will be very important for you as an individual and why even though I don't do it as much when I am approached why I really love doing it and what are the things that I believe bring value to the leaders who will hire me so first of all I see the coaching relationship almost like a uh, I'm gonna use this as a really bad comparison but just work with walk with me um, an eagle or a magpie. Now, I know at the face of it, it may not necessarily seem like they are really comparative birds, but I, I just want to use those as their approach to what they're flying in the sky for and what they're actually approaching. So first and foremost, if you think of an eagle, the eagle is this majestic um, bird that lives remotely in the mountains or in some instances, trees far away from humans and, and um they, they live quite lofty, and they're able to stay in the air and fly many distances for a long while. And what that allows them to do is they can they can stay in the air, they can ride on the jet stream, they have these incredible wingspans, and they've got these strong talons as well. And they will stay, and they will soar, and they've got this incredible eyesight from miles away. You know, you can see, uh, I I've loved watching a lot of nature programs, you can see these eagles, and they can see um, their prey from miles away. And what they will do is they will fly around and they will calculatingly look fishes under the sea or livestock or what have you. But from from miles above this incredible eyesight and insight into what's actually happening, they will look around and they will take their time before they um, descend. But when they do descend, they descend with intent. They are incredibly targeted, incredibly focused because they know they have this one thing, which is usually prey. But they have this incredible one thing that they're swooping down for. Um. On the flip side, there's the magpies. And magpies will be found in uh, in a space with a lot of other birds. um, Relatively, you know, even though they're these um, black and white birds and they tend to stick out slightly in terms of their plumage, they're still hanging out with a lot of the other birds. And what they will do is they're primarily thieves. And what they do is they look for shiny things. So they will come in and they will swoop into a house or swoop somewhere where they're looking for gems or bees or things that that they're scavenging for, that they can put into their nest or what have you, but it's not necessarily um, something that they need to survive. And the reason why I use this eagle and magpie um, uh, comparison or analogy is that often there are people who will go into positions of leadership and they end up being the magpies. They respond to um, disaster or they respond to... The, the latest shiny thing, rather than being quite strategic about what they want. And although the language of the eagle might seem quite intense, because you might be talking about prey and, you know, swooping in for prey, I, I I want you to ignore that for the moment. But just think about that eagle being very strategic. Um, it will go up in the sky, will have this amazing insight about where they want to swoop down and what it is that they specifically want to get. And, and once they have done that, uh, once the eagle has done that, it will swoop down with intent. And, and that's what a lot of executive coaches will get leaders to do. Rather than being a magpie, where you react to everything that happens, it's about having that vision, it's about having that insight, it's about being able to soar, so that when the leader does put something into action, when they are swooping into action, when they're thinking about who they want to work with, they're doing that with intent and with the strength and the power of an eagle. And that's one of the best analogies I can use for the role of um, a coach. When working with a leader is to get them to think very very strategically about what it is that they want to do how they're going to do it how they will able to how they will be able to scoop down like that eagle to make sure that the organization that they're working for can um, best benefit from their leadership insight their vision and the, the way that they want to implement it and so as a result, a lot of coaches will be brought on board by senior leaders because they will offer a bit of strategic insight. Now, there are individuals who can go off on and do uh, you know, a, a leadership or an executive coaching course on a weekend and, or over a couple of weekends and come away with a bit of a qualification, but often many people will use leadership coaches who have an insight or an understanding of what the business that the person is actually running is, is doing. So while you may not necessarily be an expert, um, leadership or executive coaches will have an insight as to how um, processes are run in the organization. They will understand finance. They will have a a slight indication or an understanding of organizational psychology and management, even if it's either as a practitioner, having been a leader themselves before, or understanding it as part of the the needs or desires that a leader has in that role. And uh, so... Uh, an executive leader, uh, sorry, an executive coach or, or or a leadership coach, which I'm going to use uh, interchangeably in this podcast, will have a sense of what that strategy looks like. Because if you're sitting in front of a leader who's really panicking about um, how they're going to they balance their books and, and how they're going to have an insight around marketing or how they're going to manage their people, if you don't understand what that kind of really feels like uh, from the point of the person who is running it, then you're going to have little empathy. And having that little empathy is is not going to really push that person onto the next level. And yes, you can talk about it in a very detached, isolated technical terms, but having that strategic insight is absolutely critical for uh, a lot of individuals who will take on um, executive leaders to work with them. And I've been fortunate enough to work across different sectors and have conversations with people who will be looking for that strategic insight. And often, of course, that is... Um, is going to be related to how they got there in the first place. Some people will have been promoted by nepotism, but most people would have got into a position because they've previously been in a position of management or leadership where their technical expertise or their domain expertise has been recognised by other people on a board or through whatever the interview process is, and then they've been um, taken into the position of seniority. Now... Recently, I did some work last year with a group of educators, teachers, who were in a position where they had to move from being the senior leaders or senior teachers in their specific schools to becoming the CEOs and managing a number of schools, um, moving from, you know, probably a two to five million pound budget in any given one school to now having to manage the equivalent of a 40 or 50 million pound budget across different schools. Not only would they have to manage all those budgets, but then they had to manage all the staff and they had to have a unified way of being able to, um, uh, to, to get all the processes in together so that if they were ever audited by any external bodies, be that Ofsted or you know any other kind of um, organisation that was looking at quality management, all of a sudden that changed from just being that head teacher who was focused primarily on curriculum and learning and empowering the teachers now goes very strategic and it's all about okay how do i maintain recruiting across this whole board what are the resources that can be shared um both physical and economical across all the schools that i have what are the ways that i have to report now now that i'm i'm working across all these organizations how do i do with trustees and the board of governors and having a lot of the conversations with the the heads that took part in there you realize that for many the the jump or the leap from headmaster to CEO was a huge one that many hadn't been fully prepared for. And to be honest, I think across the board, when people have jumped from um, positions to senior positions, unless they internally, unless they've been brought in from an external organisation, that jump can be incredibly tough. I was recently speaking to a friend of mine who was a um, or who has been recently promoted to be the CEO of. Um, of a, of a large charity in London. And one of the things he's had to tackle with is the, the, the cultural imprint that his predecessor had left before and, and coming into an organisation and, and, and bringing in new ideas and, and thinking about ways that the charity had to become more profitable, something that they weren't really historically concerned about before. It was just about bringing them the money um, and, and, as it were, trying to get the job done. But with the ever-dwindling grants and sources of funding, this new CEO had to come in and really shift the culture around, okay, we have to make these business units work without losing our impact uh, or, or our intention to make social impact, without losing our specific purpose, we have to make sure that um, we make this organization and this charity sustainable for the future. And and I raise these two issues, the one around um, education and the, the one around the charity in that what a coach does or, or the role of an executive coach is to be able to come in and provide a real sounding board around that strategic insight. Because often when you do come in and you, you are wanting to implement these new things or if you're, you've been um, promoted upwards and you want to be able to create a bit of change, there, a lot of expectation is placed on you as an individual and you fall harder. So having somebody externally who can really challenge you or test you around what those strategic insights look like is incredibly important for many leaders. And again, as I said, there are some who will have um, executive coaches who will work with them on a long-term basis, whereas others will ask somebody to come in and provide a bit of assistance in the short term. But the second bit, and if we, if we, we, even if we take it down a, a, a notch around the insight piece, is whilst it's really good to focus on the um, strategic insight, it's also incredibly important to look at the self and looking at insight of yourself. Because when you are in that position, no matter what anyone says to you, there are always going to be challenges that go through your mind. You're going to be challenged by your own ego. You're going to be challenged by your thinking. You're going to be in a position where sometimes, uh, depending on the nature of the uh, organization, you might be in crisis mode. You might be, have been brought in because the company or the organization you're working for is basically on the floor, And they need somebody to be able to come in and and help them lift it and empower and take it back to the next level. And so being able to really, really delve into self and to have an insight as to what makes you tick is going to be incredibly important. And for some people, being in a job and doing some real good stuff has often been done at the expense of really looking at self. What are you doing around your well-being? How does the impact of your leadership affect your family if you have one? Are you, um, when you think of your role, how does it affect your friendships and the relationships you have outside of of work? And how do you come over when you are in work as well? Because there are some people who might be, uh, depending on their leadership style, they might be very standoffish, they've just got a job to do, they don't want to make any friends, they don't want to be part and parcel of the community, whereas others are going to be a bit more collegial, a bit more familial. And, And getting underneath the skin of that, that insight of self is incredibly important because it allows you uh, as an organization to, to be human. Yes, you can be an incredible person uh, around getting the, the numbers together, around getting the, uh, the, the tools and techniques around customer acquisition or, or being able to get the stuff around fundraising. But what about you as an individual? How and who challenges you around the concepts that you have in your mind? I was watching a show on Netflix the other day and it was um, uh, there was a uh, a counselor that had was I, I remember the name of the, sh- the show now it will come back to me but Kiefer Sublin starts in it anyway and he, he acts as a president and um, the he had lost his wife as part of the storyline and one of the things the counselor had come in is he was really challenging this um, president about the role that he was doing and how because he hadn't actually taken control of of his own process of grieving and and owned up to it, what it was what it meant was that it was affecting his his work. And then if you see through the storyline the way they pulled it together, you'll see that there are other members of staff as well who started to call into question his integrity and the way that he worked, based on the fact that this the grief was distracting him from making powerful decisions. Now, I use that as an example because it is actually quite close to home. As humans, there are going to be things that affect us externally outside of the organizations that we work in. And what a good coach can do is they can use tools and they can use, um, uh, they can use techniques that will allow you to not only explore how good you are at delivering the, the role that you have or delivering the, the, the outputs and outcomes that are expected of you as a leader, but really finding out how does that affect you as a whole. Great to be able to do this stuff on paper, but how are you feeling? Uh, are you ever feeling burnt out? Do you feel that it's a lonely space? Do you have people around you who you can talk to? How do you empower individuals around you? Um, and what does that actually look like? And and more often than not, as humans, and especially the more serious we get to in terms of the, the roles we do and the responsibilities that we have around um, people who will report into us, the more it is for us to be on top of our actual emotions so that we can do a job and inspire people as leaders effectively as possible so that strategic insight uh, again as I said will be on on a top level making sure that we can take an organization to the next level but the level that comes underneath is about ourselves how do we make sure that the the coach is looking into your personal insight so that what you say you're doing uh, is incredibly important and you are looking after yourself or you're putting yourself first and foremost so that you can do the job as effectively as possible and so part of that or part of getting into the um, self-insight is what we would refer to in coaching as being able to address the mental models. And a mental model is es- essentially just uh, an internal representation of how we see the world or our or, or external reality. And so we will look at it and, and, and how we see the world will really affect the way we reason through stuff. It will affect our, uh, our cognitive and decision-making processes how do we really see the world? What does that mental model look like? So for example, um, one of my current bugbears is for organizations who talk very big about um, diversity and inclusion um, and, and how that can be impacted uh, or, or how it impacts the actual organizations that they're working with. And addressing or dealing with some of the mental models that individuals have is incredibly important. Now, for a lot of organizations, especially the bigger ones who want to be able to do the tick boxes and address that, one of the big things that they go is they put a lot of money in training like things like unconscious bias, which, by all means, I'm not going to take away from it, it's not my preferred tool, but when you start to to look at that, there are a lot of people who really push back on things like unconscious bias training or being told about privilege or that they have biases and one of the reasons why they push back on it is because no one has really gone in before and unpicked their actual mental models, how they see the world. All they get is this one uh, target training that tends to focus on the biases per se that we have. And don't get me wrong, unconscious and conscious biases is important to, to look at. But what's the approach that we take before around that mental modeling and how we see the world? So, for example, there. if you look at uh, someone like Elon Musk, you know, he has these incredibly global. Actually, if you think about the stuff that he does for wants to do for Mars, even beyond his into into uh, interplanetary thinking, he has this wide scope of way of of looking at the world. Uh, but then on the flip side, there is there are lots of um, uh, thought pieces and articles that talk about how detached he is from his family, from his relationships, because he's so focused on getting the next thing done. And, and so the mental model, I, I'm sure, if you know, if I was able to go in and do some coaching for Elon Musk, it would be fascinating to go and look at that mental model. Yes, we've got a little bit of insight from what he has revealed to us, but it'd be amazing to see about his internal symbolization or representation of external reality. How do those mental models shape the way that we react to our staff, the way that we react to ourselves, how we see the world is incredibly important. And so, for example, you know, if you are recruiting and you are in an organization and it's not very wide and you're, you're thinking as well, I need to get the best people from the best unis or what have you, that will mean that you will go to Oxbridge or, or Russell Group, the top 24 universities, um, research universities in the UK. And and the reality is, is when you go to those top ones, you are limiting the pool in terms of ethnicity, because it does tend to be um, favored by um, white middle class Men and women who probably have had private education and and who will be in a pipeline or their parents or their family have actually gone to those spaces before and there will be a pipeline of familiarity. Flipping out on that model to say, right, you know, if I'm going to do recruitment, if our organization is going to look at stuff differently, how do we tap into a wider community who can bring different experiences, different voices um, and a different way of looking at our customers and, and our market as a whole? That stuff is really tough and it does take an amazing process of unpicking the mental model or the way that you see the world. And so as a coach, what we tend to do is we will go in and we will start to explore what those mental models look like. Uh, What is your value system? What are the specific goals that you have? How do you perceive your staff as they currently are and 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 what are your goals around retention and recruitment of, of future staff that can represent your customer base especially if you're going uh, a lot more global as a coach we will tend to really unpick that stuff so that as an individual you can look back at, look back look back on it and whatever decision you you're making at least you've got a a bit more of a map a bit more of a roadmap as to how you think and how you want to be able to implement change um or continuity in your actual business. The fourth point I want to raise about having a coach is around having somebody who can really bounce off you around leading people versus leading processes. One of the toughest things I think I'm going to change up. I believe that one of the most challenging issues around this whole leadership development space is how much communication skills are underplayed. The fact is is that most people who get into positions of leadership are incredibly brilliant around their domain expertise. So processes aren't really a problem per se. Now, okay, there are going to be issues because we've obviously seen companies crash and burn because the leadership hasn't played into the process, um, into processes and managing those processes as effectively as possible. Less information is given around how do I manage conflict, how do I manage a meeting, how do I inspire people, how do I negotiate, how do I let somebody go and the communication tools that are needed around that and so as a coach there is an incredible role that is played by many of us who are leadership coaches around how do we lead people against how do we lead processes Now, there are many tools that people use for that, there can be 360 feedbacks, people use um, psychometric um, testing and tools I personally am a a fan of informational interviews where I uh, interview not only the person who is being led, but um, individuals who are affected or stakeholders in that leadership as well. I think it's one thing to be able to give people a a list of things that they can click and tick and rate people on. I prefer to have that one-to-one conversation with individuals. There's a hell of a lot more insight you you can get from that. And so as a coach, we have a number of tools that we can use around leading people uh, versus leading processes and getting whoever that leader is to have a really deep and meaningful um, uh, think or, or or get some real strong thinking about how they move forward with their the way that they lead people and the way that they lead processes. And the fifth one for me is and this is where I think coaching really kind of like uh, um, is the value added piece is around questions. Is around asking better questions. And for me, I've seen a lot of progress, Um, whether we have leaders who are launching new products, dealing with change, um, doing restructuring, uh, growing teams. It really has been around asking better questions because it's not just about asking a simple question, but if you ask a better question, how are you going to be able to get that answer out? And one of the important tools that we have in our toolkit as coaches is, is the question techniques. One of my favourite books is a book called Power Questions. Uh, and in that book, and I recommend it to so many organisations, in that book there is a, um, a series of questions and a series of guides that are given to individuals as to how they can ask better questions of their staff and their colleagues. Whether it's individuals reporting to them or it might be um, uh, colleagues who are sitting on an executive board. But how do you ask better questions, making sure that it's more finite, you can get to a, a, an answer quicker and better without having all the fluff of of going round and round the houses trying to ensure that other people understand what you're saying. One of the tools that um, we use as coaches when we are working with our clients, and I know a number of um, my colleagues do this, um, and, the, the, I, and I know there are a lot of executives who have... Um, been able to use this technique and they think it's brilliant so it's it's basically uh, part of what's called solution focused therapy or solution focused brief therapy and it's called the miracle question and I'll give you an example it just says uh, if uh, if you woke up tomorrow and a miracle happened so that you no longer uh, had to deal with uh, a really obnoxious person in your department what would you see differently and what would be the first signs of that Um, of that miracle actually uh, occurring. A more traditional um, kind of approach is, you know, um, if tomorrow or next week or in a year's time, a miracle was to happen in order for your organisation to be more profitable, uh, managing better resources, more well-known, with staff fully empowered and really reared up and geared up to to work on your behalf. What has to be in place for that miracle to happen? What has to be in place for that to work? And it's incredible that when you are asking that miracle question to a lot of senior leaders, how they start to break it down. You can see the eyes rolling up to the top of the head, looking left and right, looking up to the ceiling. Sometimes people take a little bit more time to write down what it is. Sometimes people just sit there in total silence, and they think, hmm, what is it? What is that miracle that has to happen? And again, the miracle question is only one of a number of tools that coaches use to really get people to think about the future and the present slightly differently. But what it what it allows us to do as coaches is it gives the power and the agency back to leaders to go, right, do you know what, maybe this is the way I need to start framing how our organisation is going to move forward. What are the things that we uh, need to do specifically um around making the organization do really well and how do I tie tie that back into my mental model and the way that I see the world and and I lead my people and I lead my process and how does that affect me as an individual when I'm looking at the self-insight and how does that tie into my bigger picture my bigger strategic insight that I have am I an eagle or am I a magpie and these are some of the reasons why people will go and and hire coaches for um, executive coaches for leaders They are uh, only a a small part of the bigger picture. There's a hell of a lot more that will take more than a 30-minute podcast to be able to explain. But the last bit I wanted to say about the the role of the leadership coach is that we keep you accountable. So a coach will come in and they will ask you questions. They will set you tasks. They will get you talking to your staff. They will get you to be introspective and do things like radical self-inquiry where you really start to ask yourself about what is it about me that I am either bringing to the job or not bringing to the job at this point in time that will make it better. We dig deep, we go under the skin, and, and we are not emotionally invested in the outcome. So we can ask any question that we want, knowing that we're doing it for your benefit. And so for those who are contemplating going into leadership, or even those who are in leadership at the moment, and they may be struggling with it in a bit, I think it's really important to, uh, to really think and really dig deep about what it is that you want From a leadership coach that will take you to the next level. Again, as I said, the majority of my coaching is around performance, but when I do my leadership coaching, I go deep and I go really deep, and it's an investment and I'm not messing about. And I want to work with people who really want to shift stuff. So I'm I'm very, very choosy about what it is that I do, and it is at a premium. I make no bones about that. But essentially, um, these are the points I think a lot of leaders should take into consideration when they are going to go into their position or they are going through change and, and things need to be done to think about these things as to how a coach will bring value. They will make sure that you hit your performance targets and your goals and your activities and and align it with the vision and strategy that you have as well, by not only looking at it as a top level, like an eagle from a strategic insight, but making sure that you are happy with the the mental models that you have as well and your own self, making sure that you bring yourself um, to work and and to your role every single day. So those are my few insights. Um, I, I hope that they have been helpful. Next episode, I'm going to have another special guest. I'm looking forward to interviewing them. Then. I'm not going to say anything about it now, um, but I'm going to keep asking you. As I said, I'm I'm uh, the, the podcast is on a number of uh, platforms on uh, iTunes, on SoundCloud, and you can get it directly through Libsyn. And I I welcome feedback on any of the social channels, be it LinkedIn, um, Twitter, or whatever. Um, and and any insights and feedback that people have on it, queries if you even disagree with some of the stuff I've said. But thank you for tuning in, and, and I definitely look forward to having you on the next episode of The David McQueen Show.